0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Lucas On podcast. Today, my guest is Andy Polzar. Polzar FM uh, is very special to me. It was Christchurch's home of electronic and dance music. Um, sadly, shutting down earlier this year after 23 years of broadcasting. It has, yeah, it has a really special place in my heart because it gave. Alex and I, the opportunity to get on the radio for the first time to have Alex's music played and for me to kind of have my first outing as an entertainer, as a presenter, it's kind of the first time that I used Lucas Devotion kind of publicly as, as my name, introduced myself to the world, if you will. Um, the Polzar 20th is where I had, that was the first time I had my name on a poster for, for something music-related. You know, lots of really exciting opportunities came out of Pulse RFM, not just for me, not just for Alex, but for so many local musicians. It was, It's such an important station for yeah, just giving people opportunities in the local scene that wouldn't normally have the chance. And, and that's why it's really special to me, um, and we're going to miss it a lot. But in this episode, talking to Andy Andy Polzar, uh, the man himself, founder of Polzar FM, yeah, we talk about kind of a a lot of that. Why young artists and and new artists and new presenters like myself, like Alex, kind of got their opportunity on Polzar FM, having no history. Why why him and and his his company and his radio station kind of was willing to give people who had no experience, no background, an opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, So we talk a lot about that, um, especially his kind of right-hand man, Mike Nicholas, um, who's doing amazing things now, but also got his start on R.F.M. And I also kind of wanted to ask Andy about the nitty-gritty behind not only what happened to Polzar FM, why they had to shut down, but also kind of the, the struggles and, and challenges of running a radio station because it's, it's no small feat to run a radio station, especially for 23 years. Um, and so, yeah, it's just incredibly impressive and, and such, such an interesting conversation. Andy's a really good guy. I really appreciate him taking the time to talk to me and, of course, the opportunities that he afforded Alex and I when when we were just starting out, um, so so very bittersweet in a lot of ways. But um, I think you'll be able to tell by the end of this conversation. Um, you know, Andy's he's got so much energy, and he's he's only gonna do greater and greater things as we go along. Um, the The Polzar name, if you will, is is still going strong. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode, and uh, yeah, thank you. I've, I've I've my I've my questions all lined up. I did, I did speak speak to Mike a little bit in advance,
1: just nice. um, because I did did he give you any? Oh, uh, you need to ask him this. You need to ask him this.
0: I thought I thought he might. But no, he was like surprisingly, <laughs> you know, he's a surprisingly chill about it. I yeah. thought, yeah, he might have like that undercover source that that no one, would, you know, blow, blow something wide open that no one knew about or something. Nah,
1: like no, I think every, like the the nice thing that we did with Palazzar is operate very transparently. Yeah. It's the way I like to be. I, you know, The moment you've got people playing secret squirrel stuff in the background and doing stuff beyond what you need to do commercially, which sometimes you obviously do need to, yeah, um, Yeah. It's, it's not the way to be. You know, as soon as we were able to tell people things, we told people things. Yeah. Whenever drama went down, people learned about it pretty damn quickly because <laughs> otherwise it festers and it creates issues, and especially when you're in a volunteer... Um, pre- predominantly volunteer oriented organization yeah. which is what we were um, yeah, people love to gossip they love to you know a few rumors do the rounds and next thing you know it's all just drama 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 and so it's easier to just go no guys look this is what happened yeah. I'm not going to go into deep detail if you want to know what that is you can come to me one on one but mm. this is kind of what occurred don't spread any rumors because there is no more story than that yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's
0: a funny thing. What do you think that is like that um, cuz I've kind of seen that in, in like my experience, uh, I guess of the world so far as well, that things are kind of like that are non-profit or like volunteer based tend to be more kind of drama filled yeah. and there's a bit more gossip going on or politics. Or politics. Um, yeah.
1: Why do I think that it, I think that is human nature. I think right. if you are being paid to do a job and you're turning up and you have expectations on you you are more likely to curtail your behaviour mm. and and work to the paradigm mm. that is expected of you yeah. if you are volunteering you're giving of yourself You, you know, it could be anything it could be the, the PTA yeah. it could be you know, the a a, a yeah. soccer <laughs> club it could be um, the bowling club it, you, whatever you're doing you know, running a, a dance music festival in a, that's going to be happening in a paddock somewhere yeah um, when people are giving of their time, and it the part of the reason why they 're doing it is for a little bit of of that personal satisfaction of doing something, but also yeah. it 's the being thanked for doing something it 's right. getting some of that um, you know, appreciation you know feeling like you 're valued all that kind of thing interesting um and it it 's part of the challenge in running a, a volunteer orientated organization because To do it well for a very long time, you have a lot of egos to manage. And there's always some people that are going to be the prima donna that want a little bit of additional love because they feel they're entitled to it for whatever reason. And and you're sitting back in in a lead role going, well, no, you're actually just the same as that person and that person and that person. And yeah, you might have been here six months longer, but really, dude, in the grand scheme of things... It's nothing, mm. um, but you've just got to be careful. And and people have egos. People like to feel valued. Um, yeah, sometimes people can get precious about things. Yeah. And so it's learning what those things are. And I think to be a good leader of a volunteer organisation, you need to try and work out what are what are people's main motivations. What are they looking to get out of it? And try and fulfil those motivations for them. Yeah, like if if your motivation is to get involved with the dance music radio station because you want to be doing gigs or you want a festival slot or you want to um, build a fan base or whatever. It's our job as the person that's working there to try and facilitate as much of that as we can, so that you get that satisfaction, mm. and I think we did that reasonably well. I know we fell flat probably a few times for a few people. Mm. Um, I know you know other people went. Oh, look, you know, we, we our needs will be better met at RDU. Mm. and it's like cool, sweet. We hundred percent support them. We love them. If you feel you're better there, go be there. Mm. Um, and you know, we've had other people that have gone the other way. Mm. Um, so it's it's one of those interesting things. You've got to find the organization that matches with your values, matches with your objectives and vision, and that you feel you gel with. Mm. And and, and yeah.
0: so people, yeah, they kind of came in expecting to get, you know, a different kind of currency out of it, a different kind of benefit than, I suppose, just showing up to a job. Yeah. And the, the exchange of value is, I do my time here, yeah, I get money. They're kind yeah. of looking for, you know, whatever... <laughs>
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and
1: there will be intangibles that, that you get from doing those things. And it's it's like I find it amazing when I think back, you know, in that 23 years that we ran Pulsar, um, we had several people that were involved and volunteered and did a show every week for like 21 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when you think about that, that is a good chunk of your life. <laughs> and you're turning up every every week for two hours and doing a thing because you're passionate about it. You love the music. Yeah. You love the audience. You love the vibe that you've created, the, the following you have. And it's just, it becomes part of your weekly routine and it's something that you love. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what we wanted to try and do as long as we could was keep providing that for people. Um, because for, for some people, it was a key part of who they were.
0: No, oh, yeah, um, definitely. I
1: still remember when um, Jason very sadly passed away. Um, with cancer and he'd been doing the cold cut show with James mm. and we were at his funeral and a number of the, the people that were speaking there, his wife and other friends were saying how much his radio show meant to him yeah. how much of a part of him it was yeah. and it, it's things like that that give you a great deal of satisfaction in doing it and going through all the sacrifices that, that my business partner and I went through for all those years and are now still going through but that's a whole <laughs> To try and provide something, create something for the community, um, and, and you know, just create that connection point for people, um, yeah. and that's that's part of the whole thing. Anywho,
0: yeah, I mean, okay, well, yeah, I, I'm, uh, when I look down at this book, I promise I'm not being rude or tuning out no, or anything. No, I good. just, well, you know, I've se- I've, se- I've seen kind, done of, it. kind of questions book. <laughs> <laughs> Um I, I don't like to spend too much time on these kind of covering like your personal history, because I feel like so much of it can be like found online, yeah, totally. research other places. Just go but to my website.
1: Yeah, I all guess. My bio's there on, on Andy Pulsar.
0: What, what on would Facebook. you <laughs> say if I kind of asked you to give, you know, your 60 second summary, like a quick rundown? Like how did this even all start?
1: Oh, that's easy. Um, yeah. So the elevator pitch for Pulsar um, was fairly simple. I uh, had done radio in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I'd had about three years off. And I just wanted to do something. I was in love with dance music. I just started as the resin Digital loaded hog. I was playing it at bass and ministry as well. And, um, and I wanted to share my love of dance music and connect the community. Yeah. Um, 1999, there was a massive surge of interest in dance music. Mm. And so for me it was just something that I felt I could do, I had the right connections, I knew someone that could provide um, an automation suite that we could use, mm. um, I had the IT skills because I owned an IT company, uh, or I hadn't even started at that point but I'd been in IT but prior. Um, and so I was able to put all the bits together, basically. And then the original plan had been I was going to set something up in my garage and put, put a transmitter on the roof. Uh, we lived in Chester Street East at the time in the CBD, so it would have given us a bit of coverage. And it was just going to be a fun hobby thing for me, mm. um, just to share my love. And then my businessman, Jason, J-Boss, as we know him now, um, I was sharing the idea with him over a Coffee, and he was like, didn't they just do something like this in Auckland? why don't we get serious about it because George had started like four or five months before this wow okay um and I was like well I suppose we could do you think anyone like you know there's no radio frequencies we don't know and so we, we started talking to people and I had a, a computer client that I was doing some work for that owned Manchester Courts. that said hey look I'll give you a suite in Manchester Courts. we'll give you a free rent for the first few months mm. and seven stories high you can put an aerial on the roof Mm. um and that's how it all came about and suddenly we just had this whole crew of people that were passionate about doing what we wanted to do that all signed on and the great thing is a whole pile of them are still mates of mine today and so that's that was the birth of it that was the genesis and then we just found people started flocking to it and 23 years later we were like oh wow we did 23 years that's pretty yeah. amazing yeah
0: do you think there's i mean i have no evidence for this whatsoever but what is the what is the link between like it dudes dudes who love putting together computers and shit like that you know fucking javascript yeah and like electronic music dance music because yeah. That's something I see over and over again, and I've never been able to put it together.
1: You're not wrong. Um, it's a really valid point. Yeah, um, and I think there is uh, there is a, definitely a crossover there, and yeah, electronic music, electronic components. I don't know. Um, mm. Maybe it's just the way our brains work. Maybe our brains like the patterns. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of consistent patterns in the way that electronic music's written, mm. and there's pattern and design and structure within what we do within technology. Mm. Uh, you know I've always, throughout my entire career, I've had a technology bent, and almost everything I've done. But parallel with that, I've had a music bent as yeah. well. So it's like my my CV, my LinkedIn reads really bizarrely because he's <laughs> uh, doing a music thing or a radio thing, and then he's doing an IT thing, and then he's doing a recruitment and IT thing, and yeah. then he's he's doing a, another radio thing, and then it, you know DJing, and uh, yeah, it gets it gets amusing. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's just the way our brains work.
0: What what is it? What how has that balance been for you? Because I feel like, you know, if, if you're doing IT, you're like, like you're managing a company. You're like, mm-hmm. you're dealing with all these kind of. Um, what well, I would call potentially daytime activities but then boom 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 we see you out at night you're still hitting yeah. the still hitting the decks till yep. 3 in the morning 4 in the morning yeah. right
1: oh uh, not 4 so much anymore <laughs> <laughs> it was back in the day boom, an earthquake um, how's yeah. that balance like how's are you sleeping <laughs> I, I a lot of my friends mention things like that yeah. uh, they laugh Steve Arnold every time we catch up he's like dude I don't know how you do it like you know he's not quite as old as me but he's like what the heck you know how are you still doing and it's just like I've been doing it for so long I don't know anything else yeah. I've been DJing for well since I was 15 um, first professional gig I was just turned 16 from memory um, and so yeah at 54 now what's that um, 38 years 30 know, it can't be that much uh, <laughs> my man is just not good at this time of the day no you're okay but 30 something years yeah it's just what I've been doing um, yeah. you know it's real funny a little amusing anecdote um, in 1998 I'd been uh, doing mobile DJing f- since I was 16 um, formed a, a mobile DJ company with one of my best mates and and we were doing lots of gigs you know, we are doing 40 something gigs a year, a year generally wow. weddings and formals and corporate gigs and stuff and i got offered a a residency at the palladium nightclub in the early 90s and i turned it down because the money was crap Mm. um and i would have been working 10 hours a night um with a couple of band sets in the middle yeah but i was like i'm making three times that doing you know joe's 21st yeah uh why would i bother oh yeah uh so i turned that down and then by 98 i kind of got the bug to get really properly into a club i'd been doing Corporates for just so long. Private functions. I could play the same set every night, and everyone loved it. And I was just over it. Yeah. Uh, and I was walking into town, um, and I would walk past this building that they were refitting to be a venue. Mm. And I was looking in the window one night, and looking up at this this DJ booth that was almost like the oh! <laughs> shining a light on it, yeah. massive dance floor in front of it. And I was like, oh, man, it's pretty cool. Maybe maybe I should uh, maybe I should have a word to them. Mm. And I went in the night after they opened. Um, so they'd opened on the Thursday with a private function. Friday night was their first commercial night open. I went in after work and I um, I sat at the back of the dance floor for about mm, two and a half hours, just watched, see what was going on, mm. listen to what the DJ was playing. And I went over to the, the, the bar and, and said, Oh look, it's the manager here and, and manager came over and went ah, oh, yeah what do, you, what do you want to answer I was just curious you know i'm dj i've got a bit of experience just curious to know are yeah, you happy with the, the dj you've got on he said well you were not completely happy um mm. but busy at the moment could you come back monday we'll have a chat mm. like, yeah sweet so went back monday had a chat to john and he said oh do you want to come in tomorrow night and have a play uh, at 10 o'clock when we're ready to close i'm like sweet yeah tuesday night 10 o'clock that's fine so we went on tuesday night 10 o'clock had a quick play on the gear and um, and then we ended up sitting drinking at the bar at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I had work at 9, yeah. like 8.30 probably. Um, and I, they offered me the residency, and it was like, ah, oh, sweet, cool. So this was the loaded hog, um, and uh, I had coffee with my business partner. Again, he wasn't my business partner, he was just my mate who had been the lighting guy at the Palladium. Mm. Um, and I said to him, hey, look, I've been offered this residency at the loaded hog, and he said, oh, look, mate, hospitality is so incredibly fickle. Mm. Just no don't quit your day job Mm. you'll be lucky if you last three months you know someone else is going to come in and do exactly what you did right i was a resident dj there three nights a week for six years
0: six years (laughs) the only reason
1: i left is because i got headhunted to go down to azure and 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 rebuild azure on the terrace um and then i spent six years there yeah um doing year and a half at azure and then we did six weeks refit and then we reopened this liquidity and i played there for another four and a half years oh, Wow! so I find it amusing that my business partner was didn't have the confidence in my business <laughs> uh, and now we are, we've been business partners for, for 24 years so yeah. yeah it's kind of amusing but I find that so funny that you know the, the perception is this is a risky thing to do you're not going to, to cope long in that But I just got in there and I did it and my body clock adjusted and I was able to work a day job and DJ three nights a week. Mm. Um, I cut back my hours a little bit towards the end, especially after we started the station. But yeah, it worked. And then I had long periods in there where I was technically self-employed or running my own company. So I had the flexibility to to do things that fitted my needs So we had an IT company called Pulsar IT that was operating out of the same offices as Pulsar FM Um, and it meant that you know we had five staff that were working for the IT company and were being paid doing IT work, mm. and at the same time, half of that crew were also people that were passionate about the radio. Mm. So, Sebastian Wilde and um, Paul, a sales guy, and, and Warren, massive dance head, uh, who's now working for Universal Studios in London. Um, so, we would sort of look after the radio stuff and, and cover that out of the money we were, we were doing with, with Pulsar IT. So, it just kept it alive. Yeah. Passion project.
0: Passion project, yeah, but it seems like you kind of built, yeah, you, you with a purposeful or accidentally, you kind of built like a good system for it to Yeah. sustain itself. Yeah, 100%. On,
1: yeah. And, and look, I think the key thing in any volunteer organization is finding the right people that are passionate about what you're doing and aligning yourself with them mm. and making sure, as we've been talking about earlier, uh, making sure they, they have what they need to do To feel fulfilled in what they're doing. Yeah. Um, And if you can do that, like, you know, there were times in the early 2000s when, you know, we had 30, 40 people on the team, pretty much all of whom were volunteer. Yeah. um, And just we came together and did things because we loved it we were doing gigs all the time we were in a record store for a while um, a couple of friends of mine had a clothing store that were in that building oh, wow. um, as well so we had Castar Clothing we had Pulsar Records we had Pulsar FM all up in the same same complex mm. um, same office suite um, and you know it just worked. It was was great. It was tremendous fun, and and some great people that organised events and did different things. And you know, we'd have somebody that got passionate about something. We had um, one instance I remember really vividly was um, Wendy from the Civic, yeah. um, later later the Bedford, um, came to us and said, "Oh look, hey, we've just had a cancellation uh, on Saturday in two weeks' time." do you guys want to use the venue for the night? I'll Mm. give it to you for free if you want to throw something because, you know, we'll take the bar. Yeah. And so we put on, uh, so I had Jody, one of our our team at the time, who's gone on to become quite a successful entrepreneur in Auckland, um, come to us and go, hey, um, I, I want to do a $2 party. And so she went off, and she got um, Print Stop, I think it was, to sponsor these flyers that we dished out around town. Uh, that said, hey, Paul's RFM two dollar party, and they had a Print Stop out on the back of it, so we didn't have to pay anything for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we got all these people that turned up and paid two dollars, and we had like two zones, and and like DJs playing all night, and we packed the place with over three hundred people with a week and a half or two weeks of promotion. Wow. And at that point we were CBD only, like one and a half, two kilometers of coverage. Yeah. Um, and so to being able to do that sort of thing and do it so successfully um, was it just blew my mind. And you know, I had none of the, the ability to do that myself. It was yeah. only because we had good people that were keen to get on board and get stuck in and just do something really fun. And we had that happen lots over the years. Yeah.
0: That's so. Yeah. I mean, how how do those kind of connections like work and formulate for you? Because you, you know, at this point, you're obviously a very well-connected guy. You're, you're telling these stories about yeah. how, how you how you knew someone and someone helped you out here. And yeah. yeah, the case of you walking up to the the manager and making good friends with him and then yeah. that turning into a residency. How do what are you thinking about in moments like that? How do you kind of think about your think about and maintain probably, those kind of
1: relationships. I probably don't really think about it that okay. much. Okay. I think there are just some people that are naturally good networkers. Sure. Um, yeah. And... You know, I think early 2000s, I was part of a, um, a business networking breakfast group called BNI, Business Networking International. Mm. We used to do a weekly breakfast at the, the Christchurch Club. And, I think they still do uh, that. They I do, do, they yeah. do yeah, yeah. yeah, it's still a thing. Yeah. Um, and when I was running Pulse ROT, so we used to attend that, and we got a number of connections and clients out of mm. it. Um, and it's just a case of working out, okay, if, if someone's... I think it comes back to what we were talking about before about identifying somebody's passions. Yeah. If you are chatting to someone and, you go, and they're talking to you about something and they're just fizzing about it, they're just like, oh, you know, I was doing this and this and this or I oh, was at this thing? And oh man, I'd love to try something like that. And you can find a way that you could go, well, actually, we could help you with that. Hmm. That's what everyone in life wants. They want people to help them. They want people to, to, to help them on their journey and fulfill their visions. And if yeah. you can do that, if you can be an enabler, um, you, you can very quickly get a very, very good reputation in the scene for, for being a, a, a person that's there for others. And that's yeah. one of the things that I've, yeah, you know, part of the reason why the, the whole radio station existed was to provide a connection point, a community space yeah. uh, for people that were into the same stuff that I was into. Yeah. Um, you know, people that were at base or ministry or wherever every weekend. Um, and it, it's just, it's grown over the last you know, just 20 years, which is pretty incredible. The scene was so big back in that that sort of early, late 90s, early 2000s period, you know, gathering and alpine unity and and unity and (laughs) um, all these other, you know, massive events, Rhythm and Vines kicked Mm. off around then. Um, You know, all those sorts of things just became cultural uh, points in in our, our years, and now it's, you know, Electric Avenue, it's um, um, Rolling Meadows, it's, it's you know, Hidden Lakes, it's all those sorts of things. Mm. Um, and so there's still that, that presence, and in some ways it's become a bit more commercial now. Yeah. Back then it was probably a bit more niche and underground. Uh, but, you know, we had loads of people around that just were keen to do things, and there was just this real energy and enthusiasm. I think it's part of being in your twenties too, you know? Sure. Um, I I think when you're in your twenties, you've got time to experiment and play and try things and work out, you know, who am I and what's my jam? What am I into? Yeah. Um, And if you can find an environment within which that's encouraged and you can stretch yourself, Hey, all the better.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I talked to, I talked to Mike briefly, Mike Nicholas, um, famous DJ, um,
1: Funny though, he's he, he he is a famous DJ now. <laughs> but you know how he did he tell you how he started DJing? No, he started DJing because we were doing uh, the I think it was the Pulse Rfm was it the Warehouse? No, it was the Waitangi Day rave. Yeah, that we did uh, the Waitangi Eve rave that we did at Chic nightclub, and um, we decided to surprise Mike. By doing a, oh, yeah, you know, we're gonna get someone to do a guest DJ set. Oh, yeah. Um, and we got a whole pile of uh, audience people to kind of ent- to put entries in. Yeah. And then we dropped it on Mike live in the studio. Okay, so a d- guest DJ for the night is you. Uh... And so he had to put together this 10 minute set yeah. uh, and, and play that. And he actually ended up playing for about, I think, about 20 minutes in the wow. end. But uh, that was the first time he had DJed for a crowd. Wow. Um, Was at one of our gigs. And it's been so amazing seeing how he's blossomed over the last, what, probably four or five years now. Yeah. Um, And it's just smashing it at every gig he plays. He's so well connected now. He's, you know, again, he's picked up the networking, he's worked out who's who. He's, you know, aligned himself with a whole pile of interesting people. And uh, and now, of course, with with damage control, they're doing mm. the duo thing, mm. um, which is just brilliant. So yeah, so impressed with it. Anyway,
0: well, yeah. I mean, that kind of yeah, I mean, that kind of links links into my question a little bit. This is this is a, um, a kind of a direct quote from him. He said that you've um, spent the last twenty three years giving people opportunities and experience in the industry, something that's really hard to come by in radio. What what about that? I'm thinking about it I actually have a great prop for this Sorry audience <laughs> I have a great We'll put it up in the background We'll put it up in the background I have this sitting right here Coincidentally Look at that Oh So that's a poster That's a poster for the 20th anniversary
1: party yeah, I have a version of that With a whole pile of signatures on it
0: Oh, no, oh I, very nice! I have
1: sitting in my garage and need to get laminated and put it up. It's probably going to go up above m- the the decks in my living room. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I actually have decks back in my living room now. Well, I, I will do when I set them up. <laughs> but yeah, look, there's you right and there. I
0: am. Yeah, first time on a poster. So, oh, awesome! Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's yeah, kind of the question. Why why is this idea of giving giving people op- opportunities? Like, oh, because I think
1: people always rise to, to do their best when they're given the chance to. Yeah. 100%. Um, Mike, like the, How I came across Mike was really funny. So Mike had just finished radio school. He was 18, ah, really young, really just passionate about radio. Yeah. And he was asking in the New Zealand radios group, does anyone in Christchurch have any connections to give them any experience in the industry? And he have been doing some shifts on Radio Redwood and some other sort of low-power kind of things. Mm. And uh, at this point, I'd just moved back from Sydney. I spent four years in Sydney after the earthquakes. Um, so i just moved home. I was doing the breakfast show and had been doing it since we relaunched in 2012. And when you do breakfast radio for an extended period of time... It can be quite draining, even if you're being naughty like I was in pre-recording it. Right. (laughs) Don't tell anyone, that's a secret. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, this young guy posts this, and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, what are you into? And so I had a chat to him on Facebook, and I said, look, why don't you come in, and we'll just have a coffee, and we'll have a chat. Yeah. he got in, and I was like, where do you want to take your career? What's your dreams? What's your passions? And I could just see this guy was just, all enthusiasm for yeah. radio. He just wanted that opportunity and I, I liked how he sounded. He had a good voice. Yeah, um, He was young. He connected us with the youth market. I was really conscious that I was not young. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I was once upon a time, but yeah. not anymore. Um, and I was feeling that I was becoming more and more irrelevant to our audience right. because our audience very much is that 18 to 35. Yeah, And I was well past 35 by this point. Um, and so I was like, look, hey, you know, if you're keen, I'm I'm keen to give you an opportunity, but we're going to drop you in the deep end. Right. And it's what I've always loved, um, I think, uh, coming back to what I was saying. So I think if you put people in a situation where it's kind of a, a make it or break it. Yeah. Maybe eight times out of ten. I don't want to say nine times out of ten, but eight times out of ten, they they succeed. They make it, yeah. And they do an amazing job and yeah. surprise themselves. Yeah. Because I think we're all capable of so much more than what we ever realize. And until we're put in a situation where you, you have to stretch, yeah. you don't necessarily make the stretch. Like Mike and DJing, classic example. Mm. Um, and so... I've always every work experience person we've ever had come to Poles and RFM we put them on the air on probably their first day
0: wow
1: Um, you know you go do work experience at, at the networks and you'll be out riding in a Black Thunder you might be handing out some promo stuff mm. you might do maybe one on Aircross we'd have them do a whole four hour show live <laughs> on and they're only work experiencing for a week but yeah. all their mates are tuning in yeah. and you get to see that you, know, you get some amazing people that really do rise and some people that absolutely poo themselves yeah. and it's, it's, it's a great experience if, you know, if at the end of the week they go wow there's no way in heck I could ever do that again it's like cool well, you gave it a go
0: yeah. you
1: gave it your best but every now and then you find somebody that is just head and shoulders above anything that you could have ever imagined. Yeah. And Mike is a classic example of that. He just smashed it out of the park. We did have a few chats along the seven years that he worked for me. Of uh, course. Where, where quality might have dropped off a little bit. acknowledged <laughs> that. And need a little bit of kick up the arse. Uh, but for a young guy that turned up to work every day at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And worked till 10. And generally did it unsupervised because I was off working another job at the same time. Yeah. Um, so he was having to self-manage himself self-motivate himself do all of his show prep the whole bit he did an amazing job yeah. and helped build rebuild the station to, to what it was over the last few years so you know if it hadn't been for Mike and Sean and and the rest of the team it, you know, there was no way it would, it would have been that
0: yeah.
1: uh, that kind of thing so yeah he's just a fantastic guy and I'm a firm believer in you know if someone I, I'm a great fan of Oh, you've got an interest. You're interested in doing something cool. Let's have a coffee. Let's have a chat. Yeah. And we find out what your passions are. Let me see what we can do to to create something that lets you do something in in that passion area. Um, Megan was a classic example. Um, it, it's funny, you know, people will say, "Oh, you know, Megan, Megan's Sean's partner, and so that's why she got opportunities." I see. She got opportunities because her and I caught up for a coffee when they weren't even going out. Right. Um, But not long after, she'd uh, gone along to the Andy Seagig at the stadium, uh, the arena with with Mike, um, and I'd met her there, and then we caught up for a coffee because she said, look, I'm passionate about music, I want to know what I should do. And I was like, "Well, great. Let's let's put together a show for you and do that." And she sounded great on air, and she had passion, and she was doing prep and bringing some interesting elements in. And, and it was like, "Yeah, let's let's explore that. Let's develop that further." Um, and the, you know, when you can see that, when you can encourage that, it's just something that you know. Sometimes you just gravitate towards it. It's just like, "Yeah, let's yeah let's, let's work with that."
0: So, I mean, yeah, Pulsar. Such such a yeah, such a community good opportunity and you know looking j- just doing some kind of research before the show yeah. seeing the the Reddit post there was a Reddit post talking about how you guys announced that the station was closing seeing kind of the outpour of people being yeah. like this is such a shame sucks I've been listening for years etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah I guess why why did Paul's R F M come come to an end?
1: <sighs> it was a big story so. If, the short version of the story is we've been trading at a loss for years. Yeah. And there is only so long you can keep doing that. Yeah. Um, the longer version of that story is we'd partnered with NZME for a period um, and that had not gone as we'd expected and hoped it would. Interesting. Um, I'd spent a lot of time negotiating that deal and, yeah, it went Yeah, they gave us a good studio, they gave us a technical um, support, um, but they didn't deliver on any other kind of things that we were really looking to get out of the relationship. Right. Um, And I I suspect that, like, from our point of view, um, our our main sort of supporter that was heavily involved with NZME uh, that did all the agreement with us and did all the negotiation with us left about a month after the agreement signed. So <laughs> right. And so suddenly we were left with, uh, with no advocate inside senior leadership. I And see. I think that created a, a bit of a, an issue for us. Yeah. Because they didn't really know what to do with us. We were this weird black sheep cousin kind of thing. Yeah. And so they had us, but they didn't have us. And so, uh, interestingly, it, it just... It kind of stumbled along for a few years, and we all agreed that, you know, there was value in what we were doing, but it wasn't delivering to either of our expectations. Right. And so when they moved into their new premises in the city, um, they we found out about a year and a half before they moved, yeah, maybe, uh, that they hadn't planned a studio for us. So we knew we were get in the boot and so it was like okay well we've now got to find the money to build a new studio and, and go back on our own and do our own thing again um, and then we'd started talking to, to MediaWorks because I've got some good friends at MediaWorks mm. um, and they'd said to us hey look we've got a studio it's not being used all the time you guys could, could jump in there um, and so we started thinking about look looking at doing a partnership arrangement with them and it was was looking good and then um of course, what happened, Today FM closed, frequency became available, mm. um, and they went, well, we're gonna roll out George now. Mm. And so the moment that we got wind, uh, and we, they were really nice, they, they did let us know in advance that it was gonna happen. And it was like, okay, we need to do some serious soul searching, because yeah. what it had, we'd employed a, we had a sales rep on the books for a year and a half um, before we called it quits. Um, she was great she was really passionate about what she did and she did her best but through covid through um you know just really tight economic environment to be trying to sell radio advertising <laughs> yeah in, yeah she struggled yeah. and and i worked out you know that day that we found out and got the news and had this big meeting and, and Jay Boss and i were just chatting and going what do we do here um, and we did the math, and I was like, oh, hang about, we've actually paid her more than she's bought in. Hmm. That's not how sales is supposed to work. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we crunched the numbers, and just there was no way that we could see to make it work in the way it needed to work yeah. to fulfill our obligations to keep the frequency as much as anything. Yeah. Um, one of the, the the requirements of the frequency is you've got to have a you know, breakfast announcer, drive announcer, um, you could be live from studio for X number of hours per day. Oh. Um, so there's all these different requirements that we had to meet. And, and To enable us to be able to do that, we needed to pay people, we needed money coming in. Yeah. And there was a number, quite a number of months where you know we were having to top things up just to make sure that right. you know salaries were being paid and and people were actually you know being honoured for the the time that they were spending coming in. Yeah. Um, and so we were like, well, uh, what's the plan? You know, what what are our options? And we we had to weigh it up. Um, setting up a studio getting all the equipment again that we'd previously had, but it was just not, well, a couple of them, the Marty Link had broken, and the processor needed replacing, and and um, it was just, it was not financially viable for us to do that. I didn't have $40,000 sitting in my back pocket. My yeah. business partner didn't have $40,000 sitting in his back pocket. And so it was like, well, do we just call it quits and just fade off gracefully into the night, or do we try and do something else? And that's where, you know, we'd, when we'd been able to purchase the 100.9 frequency in 2020, yeah, um, we uh, were able to remain on the 93.3 frequency that we had been borrowing from NZME, um, which was great. And so we launched a new, frequent, a new format um, after we moved Polzarin onto 100.9, uh, which was our Anthems format. So it was me going, hey, I want to be relevant again and get back on the radio. <laughs> uh, and, and the sensible way to do that was to do it through a classic throwback format. Yeah. Um, and so that's, we did, uh, and that went quite well for a couple of years. Um, but we had some frustrations along the, the, the line there as well. And then once we moved out of NZME, we lost that frequency. Right. So we had this format sitting in our back pocket that what we were seeing is uh, our audience figures were dropping. Um, the, the main audience of polzar that we were targeting had moved very much to podcasts and Spotify yeah. and, and more diversified listening options, which meant that it was harder and harder to make a, a radio station format fly for that audience. Yeah. But the 30-year-olds are still listening to the radio in their car.
0: Interesting, yeah.
1: Um, they're still listening to it in the, in the panel beating studios and uh, uh, workshops and, and all those sorts of things. And so that's where we went, okay, well, look, is there something we could do here? And that just made sense for us to give a crack at doing that. So so that's what we've done, but it's it's really different to what we were doing with Pulsar. Yeah. It's a very different vibe. It doesn't have the community element, which I really miss. Yeah, um, It's been a really strange year because of that. But we got our survey results today for our first survey that we've been included in. We've okay. got 1.1% of the Christchurch listening audience listening to us. Wow. We have the same audience share as Flavor. Um, wow. okay. And we've got the second longest time spent listening of any station in the Christchurch market. The only station that's better than us is Newstalk ZB. By one minute, wow! And wow, we're wow. at fifteen minutes time spent listening, for yeah. Your average for all people ten plus. Um, news talks at sixteen point something. Um, everyone else is down in the single digits.
0: Well, And I suppose that makes you number one music based, right? Because news talk Yeah, is- Let's go with
1: that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right? I like that. Yeah, let's go with that. So you know, we're six months in yeah. into the journey now, and we're starting to see. Okay, yeah taking some of those principles we learned from Pulsar, less advertising, you know, a lot of just really good music played back-to-back, back, yeah. not lots of good energy, um, and and just trying to make that fly. And it seems to be working. Watch Cut. the space.
0: <laughs> where, where does that leave you thinking when it comes to... You know the state of radio i got a new car recently i haven't had the chance to like hook it up to my phone so i've been listening to the radio a lot and and sometimes i'm driving around and i'm listening to it and it just so much of it at least in my personal opinion feels kind of um creatively bankrupt
1: i'm 100% going to agree with you yep because most of radio in this day and age is trying to cater to a lowest common denominator. Yeah. They're trying to appeal to the casual listener um, and it's it's a big difference to what we used to do with Polzare. So yeah. with Polzar, it was real community focused. I don't think there's a lot of stations that are really doing that. You get a little bit with the the um, uh, that drive shows and the breakfast shows that are trying to create a little bit of community, but often yeah. it feels forced. It does, yeah. Um, and I think it's something that I think radio is in a it's a it's in a tough time at the moment because I don't think we've got anywhere near the number of people. I remember in the '90s when I was flatting and you would come home and I'd just sit in my room with my radio playing. Yeah. Nowadays it'll be Spotify, it'll be pl- podcasts, it'll be whatever Mixcloud or whatever that that you're into listening to that you'll be streaming, and it will be funneling through that um, playing you back the same music that you want to hear kind of thing Yeah. Um, so everyone's in their own little echo chamber yeah. um, which is great if you really love one particular style of music that's got one particular feel to it um, <laughs> yeah that's all good but I think with radio that's done well you know one of the things that we loved with Polso and I had to laugh actually the, the chief financial controller from NZME made the comment when he first, first started looking at doing the deal with them um, he was like, I cannot understand, I could not understand, I think was what he said, how you could have a drum and bass track next to a house track, next to a hard dance track, next to a, a dub track, and mm. actually see how they flow. Yeah. Like, to my mind, it didn't work. Right. Then I listened to you guys, and I learned that it did. Right. And I was like, that's the kind of, of thing that we wanted people to discover, that yeah. they could... You know, yeah, you might like your tropical house, but here's an awesome drum and bass track that you're gonna go nuts to. Yeah. But you won't discover that unless someone's exposing you to it. And I think what we're seeing a lot in radio at the moment, and it's something that I think the networks are a little bit guilty of, is uh, being very repetitive very small playlists you'll often hear similar things multiple times in a day yeah because they're expecting people coming coming back to that time spent listening that I was talking about before um, they're expecting people to be listening for seven minutes yeah um, they're not thinking about somebody that's listening for, for 20 or thirty minutes like with Pulsar, when we were doing survey, um, when we could afford to um we had tsls sometimes that were into the 30 minutes wow which for for people you know as an average you know for, for our average audience member to be listening to us for half an hour at a time was almost unheard of in the industry yeah um and i remember we had a number of sales decks over the year where we, over the years where we'd be toting that and saying hey look you know yeah we don't have hundred thousand people listening but the people we've got listening are listening for way longer, so there's Super much dense, more likelihood yeah. that they'll hear your ad. Yeah. Um. And that was always a it was always a tough sell because so many advertisers just go off the off the top number. Yeah. Um. You know, it's funny. I, I as of today, I know I have the thirteenth equal most popular radio station in Christchurch. <laughs> <laughs> Which is if, weird, yeah. But yeah, to know that that I'm running a station that's rating the same as Flavor, that's just behind where George is um, with two point something that I've got, um, and way ahead of a whole pile of other stations. Yeah, it's like oh, okay, well we're doing all right. Yeah, we need to make it commercially viable now because it's still not making us any money yet, um, and so you know we're still having to sort of cover some of that uh, additional cost, but. 's been a, it's been a journey
0: <laughs> I imagine it was quite emotional having to shut it down after 23 years
1: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it was yeah yeah it was really like that last broadcast um, the last day was it was incredible um, yeah having like we had so many people that were there and I love the fact you know when I told the team um, and everyone was sitting around the table and you um, it was like, okay, look, this is, this is the cold hard facts, guys. And I was as transparent as I could be. I showed everyone, you know, this is where our quarterly figures were. This yeah. is what we sold. This is what it cost us. As you can see, it's a negative number. That's not good. <laughs> it's red. Uh, and so, you know, we sort of talked that through yeah. and did a little bit of a, a group counseling session. <laughs> um, but the other thing that, that we all agreed was, look, it's it's been 23 years. This isn't a failure. No. No. This is a celebration. And so I I love the fact that, you know, we spent that last two weeks um, just reminiscing, getting your old crew members to come back through. Um, You know, the number of people that that connected with me in that couple of weeks, uh, some that we had on air, some that were just sending me messages uh, that just said, hey, look, I just wanted to, you know, this meant so much to me in my life. That's the stuff that really touches you. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, having everyone in the studio for that last that last bit of that last broadcast it was it was highly emotional yeah, yeah I, like when I got home I think we stuck around so we we already went half an hour over time at least <laughs> we were really naughty um so we extended what we were supposed to we, you know, we were supposed to finish at midnight but we went till about 12.35 or something yeah Mike had to jimmy the clocks because they'd already set up the loop to start for the next thing and it yeah. failed because we'd done something and it was like oh shit <laughs> um but it was just it was just a massive outpouring of support and love. Yeah. Um, and you know, it had meant so many so much to so many and yeah, the hardest thing for me was doing things like, you know, Mike was made redundant by it, which yeah. gutted me. Yeah. Um, but in a way, you know, he's, he's now got a decent job and he's earning real money. So I'm <laughs> happy for him in that regard. It's not fulfilling him as much. Well, I caught yeah. up with him for lunch a couple of weeks ago and we were chatting about it. Um, but, you know, for him, it's probably good, you know. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I hope. Um, but, yeah, it was yeah getting home I felt shattered I'd, I would climbed into my spa pool and I sort of looked up at the stars and I was just like trying to take it all in yeah and for the next couple of weeks I was probably feeling a bit shell-shocked um it's probably good that I we'd already made the call to get straight into doing anthems because it kind of distracted me a little bit um and you know being a dad I had my, my two kids that were kind of you know having to still do my dad responsibilities kind of kept me out of getting seriously depressed and... Yeah, you didn't have too much time to
0: sit and, and think about it, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I think that, honestly, that probably helped a lot. I think there was a few days in there where I'd said to my ex, hey, look, you need to have the kids. I just, I've got too much going on, I can't deal with it. Yeah. And I got quite dark yeah. over that couple of days and then once I got the kids back, it was like, oh, Dad, can you give me some food? And and I, and I had to, to, to kind of lift my spirits just to care for them and be there for them. And so... Yeah, that was it was pretty far on. But yeah, it's been it's been interesting. It's been emotional. Yeah.
0: Do you take any kind of um you know, do you have a kind of twisted sense of um of comfort from the fact that, you know, a, a lot I suppose a lot of the circumstances around Pulsar closing down, Pulsar FM closing down, are more to do with kind of this massive trend of like a decline in radio as opposed to like the sh- the station not being popular because it was popular yeah. you had a community yeah, so it's it's more to do with kind of the the economic it's environment economic situation yeah. yeah
1: look, I I not know about twisted satisfaction <laughs> um but yeah look uh, yeah I think anytime I get honestly I get asked every week this question yeah. like I go out for drinks with my work and there's someone sitting on the other side of the table who leans over and goes Andy just tell me why did Powell's are close yeah and I, I, I get it at, at the bars, you know. I'll be DJing at Delilah or somewhere, and someone will come up, oh man, I still have a station. Why'd you have to close it down? And it's it, it, as we've re- repeatedly said, yeah. And you know, we've still got a our, our little chat group um, with the leadership team. And you know, every now and then, like, Camo will be going and doing gigs somewhere, and someone's whinging at him or Michael, and someone looking <laughs> at them. And, and we'll share these little anecdotes. And it's like, yeah, isn't it just such a pity yeah. that for every passionate person, we didn't have an advertiser that was prepared to oh, support it? Yeah. And help it survive financially, and I think it was the biggest thing. Um, you know, there were a couple of people in the last couple of weeks that were like, "Oh, when you start a subscription model, and it's like, mm. we tried it once before, yeah. briefly before the earthquakes, and honestly, it just it's too hard." Yeah, and I don't like the thing that Jason and I really um, stuck to right through the whole 23 years was we don't want to ever. Um, charge people for the privilege of listening to us yeah um you know we never charged people to do a show um you know there are other stations that that you know say oh you've got to pay 20 bucks a, an hour to come in and use our studio and da 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 we never did that yeah um the, there were um you know we, we uh, jason adamantly when we moved into nz me they were like oh look we've set up this text thing um so people will text you and when they text you, you know, they'll get charged 25 cents Um, and you'll get it straight to this computer. And we're like, well, we're not doing that. Yeah. And they went, why not? And we went, well, we've got this iPad here that we've set up that's completely free. Yeah. And anyone that's got free texting, it doesn't cost them a penny. And they were like, oh, uh, huh. And they couldn't quite fathom this idea that we didn't want to take money off our audience. Yeah. Um, and so you know it's one of those fun things so we had people sort of pitching those sorts of things and it was just like nah it just it didn't feel right and the interesting thing is yeah we're this isn't the the first, this isn't the first time we've shut down this mm. is the third time we've shut down mm. so we we shut down at the end of 20, 2007 okay. so we were on here from 99 to 2007 um, we'd I'll probably talk about this now because um, what can they do? Um, <laughs> so we we've been brought when we were on top of um, of Manchester courts we were legally allowed to broadcast with one watt of power, which is the LPFM limit. Yeah, but we had this little booster box that got us to ten watts. Mm. And we used to have to take it out every time that then, because the, the, they had to give us 24 hours notice when they were sure. going come in and speak the equipment. Right. So we could pull it out and they, they'd come up onto the roof and they'd go, oh, what's this area here that's in the transmitter box? Uh, <laughs> And we we're like, oh yeah, we had a, a UPS in there that we were just using for additional power if we needed it. <coughs> <laughs> uh, and we got away with it, but they got really, really strict as we went through that sort of that first eight years. Um, and we, at one point, we moved the transmitter up to my friend's place uh, at Huntsbury, where we I'm actually hitting at eight o'clock. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we had it on his garage, so we had really good coverage out over the, the, the sort of the southern side of the city. The best place to listen to us right then was in the car park of uh, Radio Spectrum Management. Uh, we learnt. Um, everywhere else in the city, not so much. Okay. <laughs> um, and it just, it got really hard and they started getting really strict on us on power and making sure that we were genuinely putting out one watt. Right. And so by the time we were fully compliant, the audience was was non-existent. So right. we went, right, now nah, flag it. Let's, we'd been trying, we, at one point in about 2002, we had um, a VC had said, look, he had uh, I think two or three million dollars on hand for us oh, wow. if we could get a frequency that they would invest we had a whole business plan and everything Yeah. But- there were no frequencies. We'd kept asking, kept asking, kept asking for a frequency, and nothing ever came. So, out.
0: Who's in control of that? Because yeah, you're government,
1: government, radio yeah. spectrum management, and right. the Minister of Broadcasting. Right. And so we'd been pitching concepts to, to Tim Barnett, who was our Central City MP at the time. And Tim was great. We, he was a really nice guy. He was very, very supportive of what we were doing. Yeah, um, we were big fans. Even though I don't vote Labor, um, <laughs> you know, I was a big fan of him as a person. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. And and he advocated for us. And uh so you know once we got to that point of pulling the the pin it was like oh well okay well we gave it a good go it was eight years yeah and then three months later uh uh, april four months later um we get an email from radio Spectrum management saying guess what we're doing a radio frequency auction and not only that we've got this new format and template that we're setting out and we're like that's what we pitched to tim barnett a year and a half ago (laughs) <laughs> um, and it is the local commercial frequencies. So yeah. we had a month to, to reactivate all of our business plans, um, You know, get all of our war chests together so we actually had some money to buy a frequency with, yeah. fly to Wellington, bid in the auction, were successful, amazingly. Wow. Thought we were going to be millionaires. That didn't happen. Oh, f- um, and, uh, yeah, and, and so then we launched uh, in April 2009 Canterbury-wide uh, on on uh, 105.7, and, um, you know, it, it went really well. And then there was an earthquake. There was the
0: earthquake, yeah.
1: And so then we kind of struggled through the next few months, and, and you know, I had a friend of mine, Alex, that was um, station manager for a bit there in 2011, and I'd, been, I'd had to move to Sydney for work and um, Alex was like ringing me going dude look this is just not working you need to shut this thing down and we're like we don't want to shut it down we love it and he's like you know it's not sustainable and we're like yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh, and so we just kept on going for the sake of going. And then uh, we actually were talking to Mainland Press, the own um, Bicycle Exchange and The Star. And, sure. Uh, and they'd already bailed out CTV after the earthquake. Because right. Because obviously everything really serious happened. Yeah. with CTV with all the loss of life and everything, which was just tragic. Um, and so they'd already done some amazing things there. So we started having some conversations with them. and um, And towards the end of 2011, we thought, okay, well, makes sense, we're a radio station, they've got a newspaper and a TV station, let's form a, a group we'll move into their offices in Wairaki Road and and, and create a, a three-headed media beast. Yeah,
0: media beast, yeah. Uh,
1: and um, amusingly, so we'd kind of almost run out of cash at that point and um, uh, the, uh, during their due diligence period, my business partner got asked a question by their CFO or whatever he was, um, what will you do if this deal doesn't go through? And Jason, without thinking, because he's just an honest guy, said, well, we might just have to shut it down and liquidate, we'll just see we go. And, of course, the finance guy went, well, hang a bit, if they liquidate, I can pick it up for 20 cents in the dollar. Yeah. Um, and so they pulled out of the deal. Wow. And so the, the evening they pulled out of the deal, it was like Friday the 7th of December or something in 2011. And uh, after they pulled out of the deal, we went, right, we've got to turn things off because we can't afford to keep trading. We thought we were going to have a deal. We thought this was going to be a go. Yeah. So that evening we flicked the switch and we went off here. Um, wow. And then we spent mm, six, eight months negotiating with with the, our three main creditors um, and reached settlement agreements with all three of them. And we relaunched in October 2012. So hmm. So it's only been three times now that we've shut down. Yeah. Who knows?
0: We might come back. I like yeah. that. I like that. The, see, the hoodie, the Marvel hoodie is fitting now because I feel like that's a little, you know, wow. there's a post-credit teaser of a... I've got that what, one there as well. Oh, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> see, that's a grand reveal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was actually completely coincidental. I just thought about that now. <laughs> um,
0: we only have a little bit of time yet because um, yep. I know you have to shoot off. So, so I'll hit you with uh, maybe just a couple more questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, on the original Polzar FM logo... Um, just, just under Paul's RFM, it had music life pleasure
1: that wasn't the original okay RFM I'm sorry it's yes, the 2009 logo the
0: 2009 yes. logo there yep. we go yep um, your tell your music me. your
1: life our pleasure I see yeah so it was our positioning statement so we spent a lot of time trying to come up with a, a positioning statement that worked for what was going to be a, a more commercial brand sure um, right. and so somehow i think actually Boss came up with it which was you know your music your life our pleasure
0: my pleasure yeah
1: and we're like well music life and pleasure it's like you know um all, all the standards sort of eat pray love exactly yeah yeah um uh, there's another one that i'm trying to think of off top live life love yeah, yeah 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 live life love um, and, uh, and Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've often got those kind of three-word three kind of zingers. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, that's what we went with. And it, that did us till... Uh, no. yeah, for, for, for a good chunk of time until we basically decided to throw away the positioning statement right um, but yeah we, we, we liked that one that was quite good and yeah it stood out it, to
0: me as well it does feel very you know it feels very electronic music it feels very yeah, festival that's what I yeah. would think about going to a festival you know I'm living yeah. um, it's my you know pleasure and, and
1: look it, it Peace, love, unity, respect. That yeah. that pleur is such a principle of the dance music culture. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we wanted something that kind of had a little bit of that kind of vibe to it, but still was kind of radio y and, and a bit cool.
0: If if that was your kind of mission statement around that time where you're potentially trying to make it a little bit more commercial, yeah. what what would you say your were- Mission statement kind of evolved into or was over the years from that to. Well, literally, what it
1: became was Christchurch's Home of Dance Music. Christchurch's Home of Dance Music, yeah. yeah. And, and so that's what we did. Oh, I don't know when Mike came up with that. Well, I have, actually, who came up with that? It might have been Mike. It was probably Mike. He did most <laughs> of the training by then. Yeah. So it was probably, you know, 2017 or thereabouts that we kind of evolved into that. Yeah, and it just yeah, you know, it was us putting our stamp on the fact that that's what we were. You know, yeah. We we knew that's what we were. We wanted to create that community, um, and it just made sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's what we went with.
0: This maybe this is too big of a question to for for the time we're remaining. So feel free to say no or or quick fire <laughs> this, but do you feel like anything in kind of your your music career or managing the station has made you a better parent or vice versa i suppose
1: uh yeah better parent yeah probably but i think that's just life sure i think you know having children when i was older probably helped that as well i was more tolerant more understanding more less likely to fly off the handle yeah um more willing to see the both sides of things for my children in some ways, I suppose you could say I've parented a lot of people over the years, <laughs> even though I wasn't a parent. Yeah. Um, amusingly, at work, we had our interns start last week, and uh, I worked for a tech company called Trimble as a recruiter there. And uh, and so we've got our biggest couple ever of interns this summer. we 26 interns. Wow. Um, they all started last Monday, and I was like intern dad for the first couple of days. Right. Just Getting them in and showing them around and teaching them the basics and, and listening to you know any questions they had and guiding them and, and, and this kind of thing. And it was really quite entertaining for me. It was like, you know, I'd, I'd, at one point in my life, I thought about a career in education. Mm. Um, didn't pursue that. But here I was standing in front of a room in front of a class full of 25 students.
0: Yeah, <laughs> funny, funny how that works, uh, yeah. So is
1: it dad or professor or what? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so I think the short answer is yes, I do, but purely because I think anything you do in life helps you prepare for parenting better. Um, I think it, you, in life you're always learning. You're always taking things away from every situation that you're in. And yeah, I think any, if you're, anytime you've got to work with a volunteer workforce sometimes people that don't necessarily do what you want them to do and you've got to learn to negotiate with them and understand their fears and concerns and and ambitions and goals and and try and do what you can to meet those needs. I'd say you you do the same thing as a parent. Right. (laughs) So short answer, yeah, I think so.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, that's a perfect segue to my final question. It's something I ask everyone who comes on the show. Um, I guess as as you said in the beginning, someone who's been on the other side of the table many times, um, what advice, feedback, criticism would you give me for future episodes of this show, so that I can become a better, a more engaging, you know, uh, interviewer, whether it comes to question prep or presentation.
1: I think um, you're doing already bloody well. Thank you. Um, all I'd say, just keep being being you. Keep yeah. being energetic. Keep letting yourself shine through. Yeah. Um, I think in everything in life, be as genuine as you can. Um, and I think often... People adjust themselves because of the expectations of whatever the group is that they're engaging with. So always be yourself. Always be true to who you are and what your values are. Mm. Um, I think that's really important. And just keep pursuing the passion. Mm. You know, um, it's it's one of those things that I think people pick up on passion and energy. Right. The moment that it looks like you're literally just dialing it in and doing the bare minimum, I see people yeah. will tune out. Yeah. So they wanna they, they wanna hear that passion come through, they wanna hear that energy and that vibe. Um, and they'll respond to that. Yeah. That's just that's the way people are. People respond to passionate people. People respond to to things that that just feel good. Mm. Um, you know, you look at the number of people that watch reality television, <laughs> and some a little bit of drama as well. People respond to drama, yeah. Um, but that's just human nature, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'd say just keep doing what you're doing. Cool. I think right. you Just find good people to talk to and good topics to talk about. Yeah, I think mean, yeah. that's probably the key. I love the fact that you're getting into some of the people motivation-y stuff and, and how things have affected them as well as just talking about the story. It's really good.
0: Cool. Thank you. Well, do you have anything
1: to shout out, plug, uh, you know? <laughs> Not really. Um, you know, sure. Listen to Anthems if you feel like it. Anthems.nz or um, 100.9 on your FM dial here in Christchurch. <laughs> playing Christchurch's favorite throwbacks and it's all the best of the 90s and the noughties. Um, Yeah, other than that, yeah, I'm still DJing, yeah, by all means, come along and see me play. Um, You know, I don't play anything cool anymore. I don't play festivals anymore. But yeah, I still like playing. I still like rocking a crowd. There's still, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, main stage at a festival playing for 15,000 people or playing for 200 people in a bar or 20 people in a bar for that matter. You can still have as much joy. So yeah, just get behind it, support it, support the scene. Go out and have a drink, Christchurch, and yeah. you can dance.
0: Straight up. <laughs> the number of times I've walked into Delilah, you've been DJing away, and I'm just like, oh, I hope I don't embarrass myself in front of Andy tonight. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, no, I gotta no. chill on the vodka Red Bulls. I gotta.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. It's all good, man. Oh, well, thank you for being on. Hey, it's no, my pleasure.